Welcome back to Everything EOS, the longest running EOS podcast. I am here with Alex Bourget uh, from EOS Canada and Diffuse. And Diffuse, if you missed the news last week, they made a very, very major announcement. They put out a press release, had quotes from Dan Larimer, had everything mind blowing. Uh, community, uh, the first community project to, I guess, be mentioned by Block One as far as using the services. We'll get into it later. I'll just skip it for now. Uh, a little bit about you, though. Uh, you're, you're quite a beast with your background. So you had a prior uh, startup you co-founded, BitCredits, which was the very first uh, Bitcoin payments processor in Canada. Uh, and then prior to Diffuse NEOS Canada, you're working at Password Box, which was acquired by Intel. So were, were you the lead data scientist for Intel or for Password Box? What, what was that? Password Box. So, you know, my co-founder here in Diffuse, Marc Antoine, he founded Password Box and he brought me in to do all the data science stuff. And when we were acquired by Intel, we just continued and become an important part of Intel security, uh, you know, behavioral analysis tracking of their products that deployed on 200 million machines per year. So we've learned quite a you know, few of the ropes to, to build data systems. So I think that leans into, you know, what we're doing today pretty well. I think that's what it's worth mentioning. Did, um, so... After Password Box was acquired by Intel, you're, you're like an Intel employee, essentially, and you're the lead data scientist. It says Intel Security Consumer Division. Right. Um, and I, I have this later on. I'm, I'm going all out of order. It doesn't matter. I just wanted to call out that one of your investors in Diffuse is actually Intel Capital, the right. Intel. Does that have anything to do with you being a prior employee there? Is that something that happened might be separate. some people that are common there that you know were there then or there now helped out like Marc Antoine would know best about that uh -huh. but uh, yeah I mean they appreciated the, uh, the, uh, the the drive and the entrepreneurial you know leadership of Mark and uh, you know, some mm -hmm. of the members in our company today so they found it was worth it to invest uh, and they had a blockchain aspect they wanted to tackle too and uh, I mean Right. We're a small yeah. investor. <laughs> I mean, it's Intel, man. This, this is crypto, man. Intel is huge to have part anything to do with your company. That's why I wanted to point it out. But we're here to talk about Diffuse. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about EOS Canada because that's kind of how you got here. So why don't we just start off? Who is EOS Canada and what is Diffuse? Right. EOS Canada is a jumping board, trampoline, boing, 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 right? We use to get into this space fast, to be known. And, uh, but it's always been a dream to build a product. We came from a, a product company. We wanted to build something great. And we launched EOS Canada. We saw the needs there. So we did write a bunch of software. We like crawled into the source code in Dawn 3 and Dawn 4 on Node EOS, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we really springboard on EOS's launched. And uh, so from there, we observed there was a need to, to orchestrate, you know, a launch. So I don't know if you guys remember the Zoom oh. calls with 200 people there. <laughs> we would stage launches based on, we were looking for the best database to arrive to consensus, right? So just as to know who would launch the chain. And then we actually figured out that Nodios itself, a previous revision could be used to jump for the next. And we orchestrated all these, you know, BIOS boot sessions. And uh, you know, there's a lot of stories. That was a big deal for the longest time. If you ask someone what they knew about EOS Canada, they would be like, aren't those the guys that, that launched right. the EOS BIOS? And that was like the thing you guys were known for. Exactly. But I, I, was, I knew you guys since before the uh, mainnet launch. I was talking to Josh for, for a long time. He was uh, one of the big thought leaders uh, as far as like the governance and the original right. WPS idea. 
and things like that. And I think uh, when the mainnet launched, you and EOS New York, it was always a battle between number one and number two for almost a year, I think. I, I, I have to say that when the chain unlocked, EOS Canada was number one, right? Mm -hmm. It might be just a, a random uh, event, but you know, I, I like to think it's not. But anyway, a lot of people have moved like that. And uh, you know, today, so slowly, so this, the rest of the story is that slowly we shifted our focus. Like as we wrote EOS BIOS, we actually wrote the first Go libraries for EOS, which didn't exist at that point. And we used those things to slowly build up tool set, toolkits and things that would bring value and we have identified issues. Like first of all, reading the chain, right? And having all the data exfiltrated in. And mind you, that was a data problem, something we were very good at and wanted to tackle in the blockchain space, like a, a, a brand new space where that data is actually more valuable often. Maybe not all of the value right these days in mainnet, but you know, usually on a blockchain, you'll have a high value data flowing. So being in that space was very exciting. So, and the first things we did, I, was, I remember asking Dan, where are you going to exfiltrate you know, action deltas? Because I was very interested in the database. And to me, you know, blockchains are databases, right? To me, you choose a database based on the data model. You choose Mongo because you want, you know, collections and you, you don't need joins, for example. You have objects that are nested within a document. You choose RDBMS, your relational databases, because you want to do joins and you want to have those, you know, mm -hmm. sorts of query. The data model of databases influences why you choose it. And I appreciate that from EOS IO a lot, right? The fact that we had tables with ABIable, you know, uh, schema full on-chain schemas with the data that you could externally have decoded in JSON simplifies a great deal of the reading aspect. I wanted to have access to that data and we slowly built Diffuse, we, we made our, we instrumented our nodes and built ourselves what we needed to be able to answer this question. How would we want to query a blockchain? Had we not been influenced by, you know, original JSON RPC methods or the ways nodes typically offer access to the data within? Because there's a lot of things that couldn't give you the level of guarantees that me as a developer, I'd like to have from a database, right? Closer to acidity, closer to immutability and not being, you know, uh, fooled by querying two nodes that are not exactly the same block height. One says one thing, the other is the other one. You know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to have to deal with that. I want my code to be simple as a developer. And I think that brings a lot of value. Maybe that's what's recognized today in, in this latest play we're seeing, uh, you know, play out for us. So first and foremost, you built Diffuse as a product for yourself, something that you would want to use personally if um, you're building basically anything. We were anything. excited to build while we were, you know, top, top of the chain there. And something we felt that everyone, we saw also, everyone was writing because everyone wanted a reliable way to query the database and we can get into the different products we have there after, you know, the, the levels of guarantees we wanted and people also wanted and they worked hard. So really diffuses replaces the read stack every company using a blockchain needs. And that's true for EOS, but it's also true for Ethereum and other chains we can see cropping up these days because the protocol teams, they're really working hard to solve scalability issue. And the scalability issue is right throughput. W-R-I-T-E, so writing throughput. But that doesn't leave much space for reading, right? If you're concentrating all your effort to, to put as much data that you can on a, you know, a set of a master to master replicated nodes, that's, that's what the, we have today. Mm -hmm. you then you have those nodes you need to query also. We figure that doesn't work. Like that, that, that's not how people will consume data from blockchains in the future. It doesn't make sense because the nodes 
I often give that example. They cannot keep 31 terabytes of stuff in RAM, right? <laughs> to be able to query the history all. So it doesn't make sense the node does that. So our, and then uh, we'll link into other questions. I'm getting ahead of myself here. But you know, <laughs> the core design principle we brought there was that we exfiltrate the data as fast as possible, bring into systems that would allow us to consume the different facets of information, the tables, the transaction, the history, you know, what happens here and there, uh, you know, and then, yeah. Uh, so, into systems that would optimize for that and scale well for, for those purposes and give higher guarantees because, you know, would give API-wise better semantics. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, I'm just trying to get, wrap my mind around timeframes because I, I didn't research that piece before this call. Uh, what, when did Diffuse, when did you start working on it? Was it prior to the mainnet launch, after the mainnet mm -hmm. launch? And then when did you release like the first... Uh, usable product for, for a developer? Good question. So I think it's always been in germ, right? Since the OS mainnet launch, we've seen, we've built libraries that allows us to, allowed us to do one thing, and then we built a search engine, and then we built the other engine. We're going to open source a fuse called FluxDB. That's a code name, FluxDB for state um, snapshots. And then when was that? Maybe in October of 2018, we then changed the company name. We started offering the platform as a service for mainnet mm -hmm. and uh, many people could subscribe at that point. And then we've increased, we've, we went also across chains. So during the last, I would say six, eight months, we've been working on Ethereum, bringing the same sort of radical, you know, thinking to other chains. And now the platform diffuse platform is ready to take on some new challenges. For example, the Solana guys just announced, you know, we, we've been working mm -hmm. with that with them. That's a new blockchain. That's another blockchain, right? Yeah, it's okay. another blockchain. So another protocol. There's many protocols. We think the future is going to be multiple protocols. We do appreciate EOSI a lot. And there's many things to be, Zaya could go ramble about all the good things <laughs> here and there. But the reality is there's many chains. And the vision we have for the future of blockchain, is it okay my, ahead of myself right now? No, go ahead. Continue. Because, I, I, I think inter I, I, I'm... 100% in agreement here. I think interoperability and like ending maximalism is like the only way to go. So, you know, the vision is that Diffuse would become, is becoming the Apache Spark for blockchain data flows, right? Apache Spark is that, you know, incredible tool that allows you to manipulate data in, in such and such a way. And we see Diffuse with this radical approach to taking data out of blockchains, building a nice, fully and complete model of the data. And as we're open sourcing, we're, we're, we're revealing these things, right? It's a protobuf model of every piece of data that's existing in chain that we could eventually replicate another blockchain with that data. It's fully you know, defined. And then some streaming machinery that are then multi-protocol aware. So imagine if you have the best data model for EOSIO chains, the best data model for Ethereum, which I think that's what we have today, and then Solana, another chain, and then you can have processes that are listening to different chains, taking their data, fusing that, building higher order services because you have the basic, you know, streaming tool chain, the late, least latency on each protocol, right? So that you can build your trading engine that look at the, you know, settlement of your transaction from this chain to that chain, and you, you take all these decisions. <laughs> it's about data, right? It's so a lot of data. <laughs> a blockchain has a lot of data and Diffuse helps you sift through it. Uh, so before, without Diffuse, let's talk EOSIO specifically since that's the, the, my core audience. Right. What alternatives even are there for Diffuse? Because I know projects, I heard like Karma, 
when they were leaving the main net and they had to decide between Talos and Wax, and I don't right. know if the, I, I'm pretty sure this is true, but they chose Wax for one main reason because they needed Diffuse, and there's right. really no other good alternative without maybe building something yourself, and it's probably very incomplete compared yeah, to that's the why we're open sourcing part of that is to empower everyone to, to build with great tools so that the whole ecosystem grows you know the boats rise with the tide whatever the state <laughs> uh, uh what is it all, all ships all uh, boats rise. a rising a rising tide raises all ships uh something whatever you know some of the things that that we work hard to deliver are those sort of guarantees Let, let's take an example if you want to query an EOS table, let's say the voters table, there's a lot of voters, a million voters, more than that. If you want to query it, your query, when you're querying the node, you get a thousand rows, right, max? Mm -hmm. And then you need to paginate, you get the next thousand rows, and then another thousand rows, right? Mm -hmm. But by the time you, you reach like the fifth page, maybe someone modified the first row. And then how do you know? Maybe there's a transfer from there, here to there. You don't get a consistent view. And it's, you can't expect the node itself to keep a consistent view of all the blocks forever, right? Mm -hmm. So we built for that and a dedicated custom solution. That's the thing called FluxDB that allows you to get consistent views of tables and return that at a particular block ID. And we've designed the whole platform to always be aware of all forks and keep them so that if we, you were left off in some random fork that doesn't exist anymore, you're at least always able to understand what you need to do to get back to the canonical chain, right? So mm -hmm. in any case, all the systems have been designed forkware throughout, but that particular problem is that we, we can then query the state of a table in a consistent way. And you're gonna download 500 megs maybe, but you're sure that you're not gonna see anything moving while you're querying it. And then you're going to get the reply saying it's at this particular block ID, a hash, right? Not a block num that you're not sure what happens next. And then you can get streaming deltas. So that's the sort of reliability that if, you're, if you don't have it, it hap what happens is this. What happens is what the folks on Ethereum have done when we, uh, they told us when, when we rolled out to Ethereum is that they need to query one node, another node, repeat, and then... Because some oftentimes you query load balance nodes, right? And you're not even sure who you're querying. So when you're querying for one table, are you sure on which block ID you are? You're not. So you're you're gonna retry. This incurs latency, you know, lost communication. It's very difficult. And otherwise, what you need to do? Well, you need to build some sort of database that abstracts and gives you that consistency. And that's what we built. A lot of people need that. And that's just for one aspect, querying state, right? And we wanted to do the same thing for all the facets, like history state you know when you're writing to the chain all the you see what i am yeah would, would you would uh, yeah uh, some of this stuff is above i hope i hope some people watching get this i know the technical people watching will hear some of the terminology you're using and get it but right. i think other people just will understand your excitement here and just they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll, they could google it if, if i wasn't in the middle of a conversation i would have probably googled a couple of things but we'll, well, i can we'll, say that to those who don't understand the technical things when we rolled out on ethereum customers are saying look i can kill 80 percent of my code 90 percent of my code because all the things that you're giving me a simple api with now i was doing with retries incurred many many problems and latency i needed to reconcile that on my own that's the client, right? That's annoying. If you're using MySQL, you don't want to be doing all that in your own code. You want 
I don't know, the layer to handle that. You, mm-hmm. you it should be abstracted. And you're abstracting all of this stuff that people are wasting time building their own proprietary versions a lot of times. Everyone needs to do it because everyone wants reliable access to the chain data, right? So that's why it makes so much sense to take that. And I think that might be, you know, why Block One is interested in these things is that it pairs so well with them fiddling, you know, write throughput where Diffuse is really solving the read aspect on many as- many facets. I'm sure you, you're very well aware of uh, since probably November, since the Blocksburg Summit, Block One, the... the, the the way they've been describing EOSIO is like a next-gen database. And Dan, really, when he's describing the advantages of EOSIO over like a SQL database, he's always talking about the write speed. He said, a SQL database, it could read super fast, but it's really hard to have deterministic writing. And, and that's what you're saying here is they are so focused on writing extremely fast because that's the problem they're trying to solve that a problem that maybe they neglected or maybe they're just seeing that you guys are doing it so well, Who knows, right? you guys are the read guys. Like, maybe something like that, right? It would make sense. It would make sense. It, and they need to handle the right throughput. I mean, and there's so much time in a day that you can't solve everything all the time. And then you just get ideas brewing. So that's our take on, you know, uh, the APIs. I think it's a great option in this space. I think it's currently the best option in the space also. But, you um, know, I'm... I'll go to the uh, press release that you guys did or the blog article, whatever you want to call it. And I'll I'll quote Dan Larimer. Uh, He said, block one welcomes the significant technical contribution from Diffuse and we plan to closely integrate it with EOS IO and other products. We are also proud that Diffuse emerged from the EOS IO ecosystem and that they share our vision to accelerate the global adoption of blockchain. Right. That's huge. That that is a huge endorsement right there, and I think it's the biggest one Block One's ever made for a project up up until this point. Um, so when he says closely integrated with EOSIO, does does he does that mean like into the base layer infrastructure, or or what does what do you think he means by that? So base layer, you know, the Diffuse platform is all written in Go. It's a set of services, but we're shipping Diffuse boxes. You know, you just plug it on your machine, you boot, and you get the Explorer, the OSQ there. You get the search system, which is the live real-time flux DB, you get you'll get in there, right? So it's really booting very simply for you, but this thing also scales out. Why am I saying that? You're saying <laughs> how 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 integrated the system is not going to be bolted inside Node EOS. I because the reason I I think it doesn't make sense. You don't mm-hmm. want the node to do that. Like I've seen other protocols. I think it's Clayton, another blockchain protocol for, out of Korea. They actually designed their systems from the get-go separate. The right system gets the throughput for writing and it pushes any data to another system as they're for reading, right? Mm-hmm. They've designed it from the get-go. I imagine this, right? I imagine uh, nobody else, and you'll see right now, as of today, there's a patch, the, 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 the famous diffuse instrumentation is out there now. It's public because we're open sourcing and we decided to do that, so no, no turning mm-hmm. back. So, you know, what we're doing is, is taking the data out of nobody else, bringing it in, in this data model, new data model, and then the streaming machinery. Uh, that's the sort of, you know, integration you could imagine, right? It's not that we're going to rewrite everything in C++, put it inside mm-hmm. Node.js, and Node.js becomes that behemoth of thing that you really never want to run, right? No. Uh-huh. So I, I especially like the part of and other products. I'm sure you couldn't say anything even if you wanted to. 
but and I know you're not on voice because they haven't let I'm Canadians. Canadian that. Yeah, I what's up with that? that? Like, uh, there is that one list of like upcoming countries that like someone found in the code base, and Canada wasn't even on that list. It was like there. all these other countries. So got you screenshots though. Yeah, I've I've been trying to to share content. I I I hope they open it up to you know public viewing of the posts. But one of the biggest annoyances of voice right now is that it's like it's in the stone age because it doesn't have a search. One of the most simple things that you have in every web 2.0 product ever invented is a search function. And it's, it's lacking from voice. So whenever they say and other products, I hope, I hope it's, it, that you've at least discussed this or you know that they're going to do this, but I want, I want search on voice so bad. <laughs> Right, right, right. I don't uh, know. I don't know what, what that other products. You know what? I don't even know what that other products mean. Maybe it's the rest of the switch is with. Who's? I would. I couldn't tell. And the search on voice. I hope you get it. You know. So what you're saying is what we have as a search. You know what would be available for people who want to build search. And 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 at some point, I know nothing about voice. Really, I'm not even on voice. Uh, you know, if some people could eventually read that chain and then get the data out somehow. People could build search engines here and there. So I don't know where they're going with that. I'm not sure. So what was kind of like the lead up to the, uh, the open source and blog? Like, did you reach out to Block One and you said, hey guys, we're about to open source this. Like, yeah, yeah, think? we did. We, we tried to make sure that at least, you know, Block One was aware because it's coming their way. And it's actually the feedback I got is that's the first time that really they, they, can even consider, except you know, public libraries like I don't know, you know, OpenSSL or libraries that everyone uses. But it's the first time a major contribution arrives their way. So it's, you know, they they ask questions and they, I, and we presented to a few of the block one folks, you know, what's the diffuse architecture and all that. And we want to do that with the community uh, very soon. This mm-hmm. is streamed one. I don't know when, but I would like to have a you know public Zoom where we're going to go through the architecture so people understand what are the you know nuts and bolts and what's coming their way too because. Mm-hmm. It's, to be open to anyone it works very well with ethereum oh, sorry EOS. also ethereum we're going to open source just right after and uh and working on other chains like that so i don't know so i i think that's huge because like i said with the karma example there are other chains right now i i see you're on eos wax warbly and ethereum today but with it with diffuse box and everything else getting open sourced uh, a chain like Talos or a chain like Bose, like they could easily have all of the suite of products. Um, right, it's going to be an open product. People can run it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure that that's. I, I know some of the guys on Talos I, that were basically trying to rebuild their own version of right. Diffuse out of necessity because they didn't have it. No one, right. no one saw this coming. I think that's why it would, like hit everyone like a freight train last week. I saw the, the the tweet itself got like 200 likes, which is like insane in like this climate. Like engagement's really really down since uh, since the uh, Corona hit, and probably right. everyone lost half their Bitcoin. Really <laughs> to, to put it out there. So yeah. We- um, so you have a couple products. We'll, we'll get into those. There's Diffuse Search, Diffuse Lifecycle, and Diffuse State. You want to kind of give a TLDR on like what each one of those are and what purpose they serve. Of course, of course. So let's talk about search because you're so excited about search. Right? I am. So and you're and th- let me let me point that out. You're on not you, but Diffuse is used on basically every block explorer, and it's almost like a necessity on it. And, and I don't think 
like uh, on Blocks.io, for example, whenever you start typing in uh, an account name, how it auto completes it, that's all possible specifically because of diffuse search, correct? Right. I, I, I don't know how he built it. I know Saeed, so from Blocks, he uses diffuse there. A lot of people use diffuse. Like most major projects that want reliable access at least have a diffuse option, even though, but now we're open sourcing. We've seen a lot of people opening up, say, okay, maybe I can make that my prim primary because there was concern maybe at some point that, you know, being closed source, can I always rely, da, da, da. Uh, but I mean, name the projects. They probably have either tried or, or heard or deployed <laughs> it here, like in America, but also a lot in China. And uh, so there's, there's more people using diffuse than you even know about because it's just, uh, right. been out there or well for a while you you had to sign up for like the API API key so you do kind of know who's been using it a little bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you have a bunch of projects so I don't need to name anyone but yeah we don't get we don't get a name I'll, I'll stop distracting everyone here I'm like off the rails so diffuse search we, we're starting there right. right so diffuse search came about because one of the first thing that happens that when a transaction is sent to the chain Okay, let me posit things this way. The transaction in a blockchain is the intent, right? It's like, please, you know, add one to my row, like an, an update statement in my SQL equivalent. It's the intent. But what really happens when it's executed could be very different from what you think happens. Like you'd say intent, withdraw my money, but you don't tell the amount. So what happens is that once it's executed, you get a boatload of data called the traces of execution, right? And it's what actually happened. This is actually the ledger. Because if you say withdraw, you're withdrawing a million dollars or five bucks. You know, the reality is that thing, which is a side effect of the intent, the intent being withdraw, please. But now when you get into the nuts and bolts, and, and, and Nodios at the beginning did not, like, it provided a few tools like the history tools, but clearly not, you know, designed. It was all in RAM. You, Clearly not designed to scale or to, you know, to, to survive in this form and, and way. So we wanted to build a search. But then again, from first principles, how would we want to query a history knowing that we have a chain with a moving tip? It could fork out. You know, we were very mm -hmm. well aware of these things. And, and we analyzed a lot of these things. Remember the grapho, uh, grapher from EOS Canada. You could see the, the, the nasty force that were happening from time to time you know, from, you know, graphically. And so we designed search that is aware of the consensus algorithm. So you can search the history of transaction, including the trace. Like if you want to know, did I have a million dollars transfer out of that withdrawal? Then you will know, yes, I, I gave me the transfer. It'll list that transaction has having existed and it will point you to that original intent, right? So the data model there is very complete. It represents, uh, you know, it actually allows you to search down to the action level and it allows us to search also in the state changes for those who understand what that is. You know, the, the tables that were mutated, the rows that were mutated, because in the end it's a database and there's rows mutated, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, it allows you to go through the history backwards and forward, but also when you're going forward, you can go and stream into eternity. You can continue listening to the chain for that particular query, for example, my transfers in and out, whatever, or on this mm -hmm. particular, particular contract. And we've exposed also a small language that allows you to craft queries that are more rich than what we originally had with the history APIs. So you can select this contract or that contract or a list of contracts you know, from me to me, whatever, right? It's a bunch of good and interesting uh, facets you can query on. And when you're streaming that into eternity, you're actually getting as fast as possible the results. You know, they're, they're executed, 
proof they're indexed, and then you're querying that so you can see, whoop, there's a new transaction. But hey, it's in a block, but it might not stick there forever because you know some force occur from time to time, da da da, when mm -hmm. there's you know, producer handoffs. And so we designed the search so that it would inform you of that. So maybe it's a technicality, but I think it's important we provide upon search results a cursor. That's a small opaque piece of information that if you're disconnected or you shut down, whatever, your IoT device turns off for an hour or whatever, you can bring it back. And when you say continue my search, it will then, if you, so it's, it's fork aware. It will know that it left you on something that's potentially forked. And if it was, then after the fact, it will give you like, okay, undo this thing. This is not true anymore. And then re-navigate the, the, the canonical chain. Maybe that transaction was executed separately after that and had a different outcome. Maybe it's not 1 million, it's now 2 million that you have withdrawn, right? Mm -hmm. And then, but as a user, you want to know that, but you don't want to pull. What we've seen people do is like, they're querying history and they always get, you know, a certain tip of the chain, but when there's a reorganization, they get a different piece of the chain, but then they need to reconcile these two things together. It's super annoying, right? All in client <laughs> code. So we didn't want that, you know, for and our users. This is, it's, and it sounds complicated, especially whenever you're like, the end goal here is, is like, there's a lot of like battling like back and forth between other blockchains, even like EOS IO chains against each other, Ethereum and EOS. But really like for this to all work, you have to onboard just developers. Developers, 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 developers. Developers, 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 developers. Yes. Plain developers who are used to using their traditional stacks. Yeah. You can't bring them to a blockchain and expect them to reinvent the wheel over and over again. So what you're doing is it's yeah. making it something that they're comfortable with and that they're, exactly. they're familiar with. The API becomes so simple, they still need to understand that something they received could be undone. Although we do have a flag saying, I want irreversible only, right? So mm -hmm. in that case, you, you query that, we will never give you things that are, uh, you know, could be undone. So in that case, you get a better guarantee. But people, you know, they, they already need to learn that this exists, right? When they're used mm -hmm. to MySQL or whatever other database that is transactional. And if you ask them to even do all the retry themselves, mm -hmm. it's crazy. So we made it as simple as possible, but by keeping, that's important, keeping the speed. Like if you really want to be on the edge and know if the moment something happened, then you can keep, have that speed all streaming through. And, but then you must be aware that it might get reverted. But if you want to have lower guarantees, right? Maybe you're, you're ready to wait a few seconds because you want to have less of these events that undo. Well, then mm. you can ask the API to do that. And then you get this sort of level of guarantees without compromising on the speed and the, uh, you know, the, the throughput the chain can offer. So also, I mean, the design principle, let's bring about the best that the underlying chain protocol can provide. Make sure that the data API we offer, like never shuns uh, on it, never, never impedes it in any way, right? Makes it shine. I think that's why people like Diffuse, right? Because it brings the power of the chain underneath in an easy way, finally. Mm -hmm. I remember um, Rob Finch, when for EOS name service, I guess he wasn't using, or his contractors weren't using Diffuse right away. And then at some point, they must have talked to you guys and got started. He's like, what the heck was I doing it the old way for? <laughs> like, he's like, this like cut the development time I'm paying for by like <laughs> two thirds. 
Right. Because it just made it so much easier for, I don't even know what he was even doing uh, for you as name service, but I remember it, like distinctly whenever that happened, he was like, why weren't we doing this originally? Like, it's just right, but there's, there's a few things that also we've had, like we're open sourcing now as part of the patch we have in Node.js, which is going into core. And, uh, you know, that diffuse platform allows you to do that didn't, that didn't exist elsewhere. So for example, to query the deferred transaction. Like, that was literally not available anywhere. But, you know, the diffuse stream would bring you a small streaming and you want to know the, the state of that transaction. That's the life cycle. Maybe we're getting a little ahead there. But the life cycle endpoint allowed us to give one streaming endpoint telling you, whoop, that transaction has been created, but it's deferred. Here's the content. It's in this block. If this block gets undone, maybe that disappears and it's not executed never. But then, ooh, there's another block that executes it or another transaction that cancels it, all that life cycle. I think that's the problem you guys solved with the name service. They, they yeah. found there was a vulnerability with exactly. deferred transactions where they could basically imagine I sold you my account on EOS name service, but I had a deferred transaction that was going to switch your exactly. keys like after I sold it to you. Exactly. And I, I think Diffuse and, and even, um, we didn't really talk about it, but I don't even know how you guys call it. I call it ESQ, but you guys have the high, highest precision block explorer. It's like the only right. block explorer that you could ever see the deferred transactions on. You right. could go into like very, very high, like very detail, a lot of that detail on your transactions. That's the data model diffuse that we set out to provide developers because we thought, you know, you're a developer and, and you might notice that ESQ is not there with the token prices, right? We wanted to build a data product. So that's a data product. But it's the most precise in that sense. You get all the RAM operations per action. You get all the database operations. So you can know what was changed by which action, which is the basic unit of execution in EOSIO. Mm -hmm. And we didn't want to compromise on that. That's why we went straight down to the source and instrumented that because that's the level of data we wanted to bring people. And of course, now like blocks and, and a few explorers, they, they feed from that because that doesn't exist in the EOS, Node EOS land at this point until, until now. Mm -hmm. which I hope, you know, there's, there's that patch, but, you know, it also requires some of the diffuse machinery so to make sense out of that. And um, it's, it's going to be in developers' hands, right? I'm going to be happy to... <laughs> so let, let's get into the... So the open sourcing of the tools is kind of the big news, and I, I'm sure the decision didn't come lightly. So how long ago did you start considering this pivot and, like... What, what's it been like from point A to point B that we're at now where you're like, right. like you know, open source? We thought since a long time about open sourcing. And we went to, took like, took it, let's say a year before opening and then deciding a year and a half maybe uh, before, you know, opening for service and people could use it. There's mm -hmm. a lot of learnings in there. And it's been a fine it's been a fine route because we've been able to go very fast. You know, search engine is that's it. It's third iteration. It's been started as a simple, you know, one, one program. And then today, the search engine is a, actually a distributed system with a router similar to Mongo S and, the, you know, shards and then live segments that can scale. Like, we've put a lot of stress into that and we've redesigned a few things. Maybe it would have slowed us down to have that open source from the get-go. I think today is a good time because we have good, nice, interesting pieces to provide. And... And we were hesitating at some point. We were, should we do that? And then we, we looked at the incentives. We said, okay, what is that going to mean? And then we wanted to try also to learn. You know, as a startup, first thing we need to do is learn. Learn about the market. Learn what people are willing to pay, where people are mm -hmm. willing to go, right? What's, 
the pockets of money, like is that like on mainnet, for example, a lot of developers, single developers want to use mainnet, they're going to pay sufficiently. What's the price? Is it 30 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, you know? And enterprise customers, those who build their business on tap, what's the size of? We wanted to learn these things. Could we have done that by being open source? Maybe, but we wanted to do that. And we, we went sufficiently deep in there that at some point, looking at the market, we felt, okay, we've kept something that could empower people. How could we empower people more? And that was really was the driving factor. Like I remember when I started into Bitcoin, read the white paper, read the Bitcoin paper, seven page. At the end, I was like, wow, this means me. I'm a developer. This is now in my hands. I can now program money. Imagine that. I remember that feeling. And I was feeling that was diffused as we're going. There was something missing. It's a hosted version. People are not empowered enough. They can't build on this, the internal building blocks. We, we tried, we, we worked on some products that we could expose some of our internal machinery for people to be building more stuff. But it just in the end made more sense to just put it out there, have the community build tooling around. And then we looked at the different you know, companies that had done so, Elasticsearch, Apache, Spark. You know, they built solid businesses because they solved a real problem. And in a way, they discovered the use cases, they discovered the usage a lot more when that was out in the open, a lot of innovation. And we're seeing a lot of also, you know, of connectors, people on the edge going to be innovating, which will make that diffuse mm -hmm. platform for, for all the chains supported, like a lot more appealing to everyone in the space. And I, know, I can go and maybe- So as, as an open source software yeah. now, uh, I think I know the answer, but you guys are happy to take pull requests at this point? Well, the, the code is not open fully yet. So what we want to do is build a great onboarding experience. So in the next week or so, we're going to start like sending a few, a uh, few uh, cherished, uh, you know, uh, EOCNs there, uh, you know, the diffuse box, the binary version so that you can try it, see a good, have a good experience. Just like when you boot elastic search, right? Elastic poof. And you see, mm -hmm. wow. So we want to give them that experience. Then everything that's in there, we want open source, but we need to just rename repos. Everything is EOS Canada. We need to move that. Put the licensing, you know, lawyers <laughs> thing. We want to build a solid business out of that, right? We want this project, this company to become Apache Spark-like. So there's some things we, we need to do, you know, agreements for developers. I don't know how that's going to go, but licensing decisions, you know, put the yeah, cleanup, a, a general cleanup. So, Deprecation so notices, like beware, this is going to be refactored. <laughs> um. So what is open source today? And today's date we're recording this is March 24th. Right. So what, what's open source and available today? And when could people expect the entire rollout to be open sourced? Right. So I can't promise timelines, but our goal you know, is to do that within the month of April, have at least the Yasio stuff being out in the open. Mm -hmm. uh, we want, we'd like to ship the diffuse box as a binary, not with the source code right away, but you know, a fast in one, two, three weeks max, something like that. Mm -hmm. And what's the open source right now? You know, one thing I've realized, because we've been showing some of the people at Blockbone, for example, we're interested in knowing what's coming their way. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that we already open source. One thing namely is Pitrios. And some people didn't know that. So first of all, the EOS Go library is the library of reference I, I see today for interacting with EOS in Go. And I've seen also plenty of people, uh, even a lot one using EOS C or a command line tool, which replaces Cleos, which has a bunch of facilities people can contribute. I think it's easier for people to jump in when it's in Go. So, you know, that's already open source. EOS Go, some people are using that for their own projects. And then Pitrios, I mean, people don't know that, but 
This is a, we call it Pinterest, it's an ugly name, but it's point in time recovery for EOS. And we use that all the time to snapshot the state of the database plus the blocks log. And that came about like quite early in the company. And we figured out that, you know, rsync and other backup tools are either not aware of append only files or not aware of sparse files two things that coexist in the data directory of uh, you know nodios so we built a tool that is aware of these things that can snapshot and restore the state of a blockchain in two minutes super optimized and that's all <laughs> open source people can use that we use that all the time for for infra but that's public it's was, was that um was that I think that was a big innovation a while ago. Was, was, did that go into like your governance tools that how, go into like the referendum you guys were working on? I was just on? surprised. I don't remember. Maybe it was used. No, 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 no. It's really something we piece we published. But me at the time, people were not as aware. And I was just surprised that people even at Blog One didn't know. They were like impressed. Oh, <laughs> we can restore snapshots in two minutes. Yes. And, you know, if you optimize for right append only things and sparse files, you can get to that. And, and the software is there. What, what's, the, what's the alternative if they don't do it in the two-minute version? Like, what do they have to well, do? Uh, 30 minutes, half a month, 45 minutes. I don't know. Maybe some other people yeah. have developed their solutions too, but that, that's, that's out there. Whatever. They, they, they could just use your tools. Who cares? It doesn't matter how people, else to do it. A lot of people <laughs> that, uh, that were into that problem earlier that needed to snapshot, and for backup and recovery purposes, you always want to backup, you know, in some ways, right? Uh, I don't know. I just thought we could put it out so people, more people know about it. And maybe that becomes also in, in the list of developer tooling, more higher level. You know, that's the sort of thing I think uh, maybe B1 would be interested to have more reference, more direct. So I, I noticed uh, probably almost a year ago, not quite. So you guys have been uh, doing a lot of Ethereum outreach. I, I saw, I, was it you that was at the like ETH Waterloo hackathon? Yeah. Uh, which is also in Canada. Um, Sponsored that, yeah. Yeah, and did the workshops there. I saw that because I, I we're uh, for Liquid Apps, we're planning our hackathon around that same time. So I was like basically spying on all of the Ethereum hackathons because they look so well organized and yeah. so many workshops and ways to like touch those develop. Like you have the all of hundreds of developers in one place for that weekend. And I, I think Ethereum and Consensus, I guess, who organize, is that, is that, uh, are the global hackathons a consensus thing? I don't know. So, so I think it's uh, ETH Global, yeah. like you see funding here, there, like foundation. I don't know exactly all the financials. They do a really good job though. And I, I want to kind of ask some questions there. Like, ahead, first of all, whenever you first started engaging with the Ethereum community, was there pushback because you're coming from an EOS IO background at the time? I didn't start saying that. We had interesting discussion, but you know, it's like anything, like if people don't know about something, they've heard a thing, they read it, and that's their opinion. But at the same time, it's swayed away very fast when we get into some, you know, the details. I had a very interesting discussion with, with Vitalik and uh, some other core devs there about how proof of stake might just recreate exactly what we're seeing on EOS mainnet. And that, you know, what are the mechanisms just to, to, to go against that? Sometimes they're saying, oh, you know, there's going to be slashing. But, you know, if you're, if you're in a setup where you have a, you know, a group of people who are controlling a chain, they'll make their block, right? It's part of the algo, they'll make their block and that's mm -hmm. not gonna, anyway, so we had some discussions there. Why am I saying that? It's not really. really... <laughs> I'm, I'm just interested in these stories. I don't, I don't get this perspective a lot. And the fact that you're in both communities now pretty so, deeply ingrained, it seems like. So uh, I have to say, when we came into the, the space, it's, 
it's large, it's diverse. There's a lot of people with different interests that, you know, it, it's a large community. And I have to say that it's impressive. And I, I think it's, um, has a stronger network effect than I thought, you know, mm-hmm. at some point I said like best tech wins and all that. I don't think it's fully untrue that best tech wins, but I mean, there's some powerful things that, at, at play when you have 3,000 people coming with certain very diverse projects and interests and, you know, people are there for a boatload of different reasons. Uh, I, I think that one of the biggest differences between definitely EOSIO and Ethereum, but a lot of other blockchains in Ethereum is Ethereum, there's a lot of people in the ecosystem that made fu money at some point so there's a lot of people who oh yeah (laughs) if you basically made all of your wealth a lot majority of your wealth off of this ecosystem then it doesn't matter if there's something better out there because you're gonna be loyal to how you the the thing that got you there sometimes and that's not a shot that's not a dig at ethereum by any means it's uh, i I wish we were in that i wish we were in those uh shoes (laughs) Right, right, right. It's true. It's true. And that shows also, and there's also a lot of, you know, price talk. I, you know, as EOS Canada, we never wanted to have, we have a, a rule at a company. We don't talk about the price. It's not the goal. It's not the, you know, we want, actually, as a company, we want to build a product people value for what it does and how it helps them, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of a, what drives us because we want to, we didn't want to build a token. We didn't want to build such things because we want to have some solid meat. And I think we're getting there, right? We're, we're building something that is, necessary needed wanted desired you know helping you so that puts us in a good position but it does have an influence on what um what how communities move that's for sure and and i i perhaps i'd say you know eos didn't make a big swarm of people rich a hundred you know x they've they've had a good timing they've had you know a good story they were the first the first mover advantage you know the the system you know, bootstrapped money-wise and ecosystem, people are excited. And then, mm-hmm. and then, you know, it's very, also very hard. I don't know. I, I sometimes use the comparison when I switched from SVN, subversion, the version control system to Git or from CVS to subversion. It's sort of the same thing, but it's so different. It uses the same words for different concepts or the same words, but you, all your assumptions from one system don't transpose immediately it's very difficult for a mind to shift from one chain to the other. So it's understandable that when you understand a chain, going to another one, it's hard. Cognitively, it's very hard. I think it's very rewarding, but there's, an, there's a big cost. So mm-hmm. it's normal people get into a chain and they see the one, it's like, like it's so hard. It's easier to say, look, it has this flaw. It has this flaw. You know, at Diffuse, we want to bring all the blockchain data and because we're at that level, right, we're sort of agnostic to the token economics. We don't really care about that. We care about the tech, the data. That doesn't lie. That doesn't, you know, try to screw you, whatever. And uh, we want to have the best data for all these chains in a radical way so that no one can undercut, right? Because when you have all the data, there's nothing left, right? You have it all. And then you have mm-hmm. good systems to process it. I mean, that's our take, I would say. Does that answer? So, we, we talked a little bit about uh, what your business model with Diffuse was like uh, prior to open sourcing. Right. So you had different packages. A, a lot of people were probably on the free tier, uh, but then you had that enterprise tier. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
with everything being open sourced, how does that affect your business model? And how does Diffuse grow into this giant enterprise that you envision it to be? Right. So, yeah, we do have customers on all these tiers. And, uh, you know, uh, we're still figuring out, I'm not saying we're going to change pricing right now, but we're still figuring out the best way for such machinery such services to be priced you know the whole ecosystem is learning at this point i'm thinking about the inferiors of this world for, for for consensus you know figuring out the model so that's still ongoing uh, something that's very helpful for us is all these on-demand networks people running private chains private networks test nets and all these things i mean this is something people appreciate having the diffuse platform around plus and managed nodes and all that so that's been very useful for successful of ours and um um, the other things, how we grow the business from there. I mean, it's, it's not complicated. Like we've analyzed Elastic or, you know, Apache Spark. These guys have taken the tech or even HashiCorp, another nice company, right? Open source. I don't know what they, mm-hmm. they raised another thing, a crazy valuation there, but they've open sourced their core tech always. Maybe mm-hmm. they've kept a few things that are like for enterprise, obviously enterprise, you know, single sign-on sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then these were as a service. And they had those people who need support, who need SLAs, who need guarantees because, you know, their business depends on it. Mm-hmm. And they want open source, but they want a, a company. And they're happy to go to those people who are the builders of that. And that sometimes like instills a trust. And that's what happened with Apache Spark, Elasticsearch, right? They're larger customers are paying for the smaller customers and the experience is good for everyone. But no, we see that easily. And especially in blockchain space where we're, it's always mission critical. You don't have a blockchain for non-mission critical things like you'd have a MySQL database or you know, Elasticsearch cluster sometimes for your dolls or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. collection of books. So, you know, I think it's natural how things go. We work on the product, we make it the best product, like similar to the approach Elastic, like the product is the baby. And then the rest comes about. And we're seeing that already, right? First of all, open sourcing opened some new doors, but already those doors, even before open sourcing, were already opening because we had solid support, because we had a real company behind willing to put, you know, raise in the morning, uh, at night, if there's any issue with the network. And that's still valued. I mean, that's the real world. So we see fit that, we see that fit. It's not, so, so, it's not even uh, a big part. So pretty much, I guess you'd call this consultant like you would consult your biggest like the biggest users of diffuse would probably sometimes want that sla so it would be like a consulting thing and then you guys are still always even with the open source you're still going to run infrastructure and still yeah. let people to yeah. like pay you in fiat which i think is one of the uh like things that stands out with diffuse is like you said you don't you never went the token route so you just if you're working with an enterprise who could care less about anyone's token, Ethereum, Bitcoin, it doesn't even matter to them. We do accept payments in DAI, and I don't remember which is <laughs> stablecoin, EOSDT, or something like that yeah. from Ethereum folks. Uh, so we do accept those payments. And in that, in that sense, of course, uh, we accept token payments, but we didn't want to have our token to put the whole platform, you know, at a systemic risk of speculation, right? That's, that's the decision we make. So yes, you can pay fiat, uh, and, and, and tokens, but we don't want to roll on yet another, you know, we've placed bets on blockchains already. <laughs> Compounding the bets is, uh, is getting too risky at some point if we really want to make that into a successful business, I think. 
All right, we've been going close to an hour. I, I, I think we skipped a few things on my outline I, I gave you earlier. Uh, is there anything that we missed? We went through uh, the different services, perhaps. You know, search, lifecycle, I'll talk about with tracking uh, the lifecycle. There's one thing I think people really appreciate, the platform's coming your way too. It's, we call it the push guarantee. And one thing there is, you know, the fact that people, when they submit a transaction to the network, and we see that on Ethereum, it's crazy because it's 12 seconds. So we have a, a, a full-blown service for that on Ethereum. But on EOS, when you send a transaction, what happens is that you get an execution from the node you hit. But we call that a speculative execution. It's not the one that's going to make it into the block. It's just for him, for that node to say, yes, it worked. I'm going to propagate that transaction. And at some point, the block producer takes it and executes it definitely. Now, the problem is that users, when they send that, they get an immediate response, but they're not sure if it made it to a block, if it made it over a fork, if it made it into reversibility, if it's final, whatever. They don't know that. It's super scary, right? And again, they need to have all that code on their own front, on their own code. The query knows, do you have that transaction? Give me that block. Do I see my transaction that block? There's so many polling going on. So we wanted, again, to have an easy way. So what we did is that we have that push transaction endpoint, which is a drop-in replacement for Nodeos's you know, push transaction when you submit a transaction to the chain. But it stops there, and it listens to the network, and it ditches the speculative execution unless it fails. If it fails, it returns right away, so you know you use it fails. It won't work. It's not even going to propagate. But if it doesn't fail, then you we're going to wait for that transaction to propagate to a, a block producer, see the execution, and return the actual execution from the real block. So then you can give that to your user. It's more certain. And you use just a small header in the query. And then you can have also handoffs, one. Handoffs, two, means I want a, level, a higher level of guarantee that my transaction is going to stick. You know, handoffs is when forks often happen. So if you go over a handoff and your transaction is still there, then you have greater guarantees going to stick. And then you can have also irreversible. In that case, it's going to wait for a longer time, right? Like two minutes, but it's going to return to you, your user, only when it's irreversible. So you get that guarantee. That plus you know, the streaming transaction lifecycle allows users to build web UIs with you know, just hook in a small piece of code and it reacts to what's happening on the chain, right? Without them polling, doing all sorts of crazy things, a simple API hooked directly to a web widget so your users feel comfortable, right? On Ethereum, it's crazy because you send a transaction. Most of the time, you don't see it. You don't know. And it's there for 12, 15, 30 seconds, man. A million dollars. <laughs> transfer a million dollars. No, no feedback. It's crushing. So <laughs> again, we have a dedicated service for the way Ethereum works to track your you know, transaction according to all these force reorgs and all that. So because of the block times, would you say that a lot of your tools are actually more, uh, they add more value to, for an Ethereum developer than EOSIO uh, in some ways? It's different. You know, the way Ethereum lays out its state is more opaque. So people want to execute code. And um, B1 might be working on some of these things, right? To have an abstraction where you have read function. I think they have that in their proposals somewhere. Uh, uh, but their state is pretty opaque. Whereas, you know, as I said earlier, when you're querying the voters table, you're happy to see voter. You have the user, you have, you know, the balance and all that. It's very, let's say, transparent and readable. So the state system we built for EOS is not applicable to, to, to Ethereum, although the, because the block time is so fast on EOSIO, we rarely need to query the mempool because it's in a block, a right? 0.5 second mm -hmm. later most of the time. So we don't have that need as much. 
Whereas on Ethereum, we needed to have a dedicated mempool service so that we can track the flows from the mempool to blocks and all that. So different chains have different requirements, but the same underlying streaming machinery, same underlying, you know, you know, uh, modelization of the chain and radical uh, first principle design, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever, can we say that? <laughs> so uh, anyone who made it this far, they're going to get some nuggets here, hopefully. You just brought up <laughs> block one again. Um, and you even kind of hinted at some things that they might or might not be working on. I don't know. Um, That's their spec. They have a spec repo. Oh, I, I spec every, I speculate everything. You're talking about <laughs> specifications. I'm talking about speculation, but same spec. Um, so where is I going here? Um, there, there's been a lot of like discussion with, so they rolled out the EOSVC grants and then there is this thing that said in, in the fine print, like if you've been a block producer in the last six months, like we, we can't fund you. And that, that caused some controversy. Bloomer came out and said, spin up a second company. So you guys spun up a second company a long time ago. So you were diffused in Canada. The structure and the not structure. Let's say, let's say, it probably has slowed down the potential collaboration in the past years, right? The fact that we were block producer, uh, that might be changing a little bit. You know, they settled with the SEC. Maybe this is a small change. I don't know if they, they said that quote, maybe, I don't know, you know, does that mean anything? I don't know. We could speculate, but maybe since the SEC settled, that means some new, I don't know, new it, way. It's, it's, bit, it's, I don't know. It's weird. And, and some of the people that work there will even admit that it's weird. Like, I think as part of their job interviews, they'll ask the people if they've ever been a block producer. It's like, what's it matter? Like all of the top talent in this ecosystem, as far as tech talent, has all been a block producer. There, there's very, very few. Like Nathan James is one of the last holdouts and Scatter has a block producer. So right, right. I, I don't know many people that wouldn't fit that. I think, um, w- would you be able to say that they're more open to collaboration than they've ever been since you've been part of the ecosystem? So from my perspective, I get that feeling, right? So how will that be concrete? We'll see. But I get that feeling that there's a certain more opening. And just by the fact that they're now taking a look, you know, at that diffuse thing that came about. Now, to, to their defense, maybe to, to our defense, maybe we should have presented that more clearly to Block One employees sooner. But then again, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> it, it is the way it is. So how how do people get a hold of you personally and right, diffuse so, if they want to use your services? Right, right. The best way, we have a Telegram support channel. If you go to Telegram, our, our website, diffuse.io, and then uh, the Telegram, there's a lot of help. All the, most of the engineers are on there. We can help out. Now, the fact that we're open sourcing will change dynamics, I guess, a little bit because we're going to be you know, helping out also the core developers, people who want to contribute to the code, not just use the API. So that's going to open a new facet and we're going to be super happy to have all you guys interested in having an awesome solution for both history, state, reliable querying. And I didn't mention one thing. I'm just skewing that in um, that we've designed all the system to be highly available. Oh yeah. Let me pitch that in though. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before <laughs> Go ahead. Pitch. pitch it all. This is it. This is the time to do it. I mean, I, I think it's a distinguisher from what we have out there. We've designed all the systems to be highly available. That means you'll run two, three nodes, potentially different regions, seeing different forks, but all these things get accumulated in what we call the platform, the diffuse platform view of the world. And so it's built for, you know, enterprise. It's built for SLAs with us sleeping at night, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and also one thing I want to say 
is that we've designed all of that through with the learnings we have from previous companies in terms of data agility. We designed all of that to be always parallelized in reprocessing so we can process the whole mainnet either by re-indexing search or re-executing all transactions ever. And our goal is one hour, right? So right now we can reprocess the chain, the whole chain in a matter of one or two hours. And that's all components we built with this in mind so that we can always, if anything breaks, come back on our feet in a matter of seconds, minutes, rather than hours or days. We've seen some competitor in EOS and Ethereum land down for three weeks saying, well, we need to reprocess from Genesis. Never. We want to have, you know, this situation come about us. We've designed things so that this does never need to happen. Not that we never process from Genesis. If there's a need, we'll do it literally, but not in the midst of, you know, operations. So, and so we for a customer who recently processed, you know, 110 million blocks, it took 20 minutes, right? And then we gave them, so some of the interesting customers in this space, we could say. So, okay, why was I saying that? There's that, <laughs> and then we're going to open source that, and, and, and uh, Diffuse Box is going to be in your hands very soon. So come to the, D- the Telegram channel, and if you're interested, poke us. Maybe we could give you the drop. We'll have a drop for Mac and Linux, and then you can start it, see EOS Q there, the, the GraphQL, GraphQL endpoint with subscriptions, the WebSocket, the push transaction, you know, the, the full-blown explorer for your testnet, you run on your laptop, and eventually this, you know, you can run on, on larger servers and you can deploy. All of the app is Kubernetes native somehow, gRPC, protobuf, in written in Go. It's going to be an amazing ride for all these. We're going to be contributing to that because it's going to be to the moon for all chains. It's a great opportunity to learn also about many protocols, things that are similar, dissimilar. Okay. It's exciting, yeah. man. So I, I, I know if Josh was on, jo- Josh was on here a little over a year ago or less than a year ago. I don't know when Josh was on here. We talked about WPS. So it was like right after Main that launched. And I know he would know how to close out the show, but I don't know if you know how we close out this show. Ooh, yeah. I don't. I'm sorry. All right. So we're just going to, uh, all right. Let me I stand up. All right. It's, uh, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> You're doing your own clothes. I'm going to ask Josh right now. All right, guys, that, that's that's time. I, uh, we got to cut this off. Uh, until next time, I'm Zach Gall. I'm here with Alec. Al- the, I'm here with Alex Bourget, and this is everything EOS. Go, Go EOS! <laughs> Welcome back to everything EOS, the longest running.